A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated, elk free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. GT without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Gee, you were necking your heaps normal today. <laughs> you even drink them warm. I'm starting to wonder, is there a problem? <laughs> i got a heaps normal problem. It's not a problem. When there's nothing bad that comes of it. <laughs> it's not a problem when it's not a problem. Yeah, it's not a problem when it's not a problem. Oh, yes, I do love me a heaps normal. You really do love them, don't you? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, they're really nice. It's a long time since I've had a, an alcoholic beer, but as far as I recall, you know, that's the closest taste to... It just tastes like a really good beer. And it doesn't make you triggered? And it doesn't make me feel triggered one bit at all. I know I don't want to drink alcohol for a myriad of reasons and my life is so much better without alcohol in my life, but it's been a real epiphany to realise that I don't have to live a life without beer in my life. Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> There's a difference between alcohol and beer. Yeah, and you can do all the things that you love to do and still hang out with your mates and have a beer mm. and it feels really normal, just mm. like you're, yeah, you're not mm. missing out on anything. Yeah, that's the thing probably I would have missed if I was a party guy. <laughs> I was a party guy when I drank, but when we stopped drinking, we didn't really party so much. But I would rock up to a party with heaps normal beers and it's, it would be cool to just sip away at them. And it's really cool to have something that it's sort of like, I don't know, this feels like something ceremonial about drinking 
the same thing as other people are drinking, even if it's not alcoholic, to be having a beer, you know? I love it when people come over and I, I can't wait to, like, pull a heaps normal out of the fridge and go, try this, try this. Mm. And I love seeing their face because they're always quite shocked at how good it tastes. Mm. Yeah. And it's a bit of a novelty piece mm. at home, like, to, for people to try these non-alcoholic beers. And mm. they're always quite shocked. Yeah, it's good. I love it. Anyone wanting to try out some Heaps Normal and want some free shipping on that, just head over to heapsnormal.com and put in the code HIQA for How I Quit Alcohol in uppercase and receive yourself some free shipping. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr, and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi, and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the Zoom room, I'm joined by Katie Grutzer. Katie, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, We just did a quick intro to each other on Instagram. Yeah, I'd love you to share your story. Yeah, it's it's a big one. It's most of my life. I remember the first time I ever got drunk, actually, I was 12. And that was on a family holiday to Portugal. You'll probably be able to tell by my accent that I, I was British once upon a time. <laughs> and um, I'm born into, I guess, what you would refer to as a lower middle class family. You know, like we, my parents worked, but um, we didn't have a lot of money. We were in housing commission. And there's a community around drinking that is, um, I think, it's very embedded in uh, British and London life. Uh, amongst the lower middle class and so my whole childhood was centered around the pub and Mm. and drinking at home in fact just drinking all the time and it was and it's incredibly normalized and encouraged I think you know my granddad made homemade wine we had that as children um we'd go on holiday and of course because there was no um attention paid to legal drinking ages when you're overseas you know, and it was considered a holiday. We we would drink sangria and Bacardi and Cokes, you know, from from a really young age. So it would it never occurred to me that there was any other way of life from a from childhood. And I think um being somebody that wanted to grow up pretty quickly, um, like many young people do, I probably found myself drinking and smoking in pubs. Um, from the age of 15 as an adult would without my parents supporting that notion and so um, and I I would suggest that I discovered that I had a problem with alcohol and being able to drink um, I don't know in moderation probably within six to six months to a year of my of my pub going activities and it was you know very evident in the way that my body responded to booze like I would say that um, I would fall asleep. I would drink really quickly and I would, you know, fall asleep in nightclubs with my girlfriends and, and, and I would just assume that that was, you know, fairly ordinary and nobody else was doing it. So I don't know why I thought that. And, um, and I also, I would also, you know, suffer from blackouts, bedwetting, you know, not being able to, if I was queuing in the ladies loo to hold my pee in for long enough to get to the bathroom. And so there were all of these, really negative social effects to my drinking and yet I pursued it I would suggest for a solid you know 35 years beyond that (laughs) that that original first drink and those those issues those um health issues I would say or, or and even you know social issues 
they stuck with me that whole time and became, you know, more detrimental at times. And, you know, and on, on the odd occasion, I would, you know, get pissed or have lots to drink, have a really good time and not suffer any consequences. But that would have been, you know, maybe 5% of the time, 95% of the time I would be um, impacted negatively, either physically. So, you know, from a wellness standpoint or, um, you know, put myself in danger or make decisions that were really poor. And um, yeah, and I can honestly say that my whole drinking career, if you can call it that, um, was was fairly negative and there were there were very few upsides Mm -hmm. so but I but I I drank excessively and I I would suggest as a binge drinker I definitely wasn't somebody that yearned for an alcoholic drink when I woke up in fact most of the time I felt so bloody awful that I got so used to hangovers that drinking also also I think became a bit of a, a crutch for feeling a little bit better but I honestly, I, and I, I recognized immediately that drinking wasn't good for me, but I didn't, couldn't see a life without it. Wow. That's incredible. And even talking about the bedwetting, that, like that's a really common thing as well, which we haven't ever really discussed on this podcast. It's pretty full on when that happens. You know, you must just be so blacked out that that's what happens. Waking up after like wetting the bed from being so, so drunk you think that would make you think, wow, that's that's it. Especially it's embarrassing, especially if you've like picked up mm-hmm. the night before. <laughs> Did that ever happen? Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and in, in, in relationship and the impact, it wasn't just bedwetting. I mean, I just lost complete control of, oh. of my bladder. So I, I used to suffer really badly from urinary infections. Um, you know, uh-huh. a lot of women are familiar with cystitis. Yeah. And of course, if you, you know, if you mix alcohol and intercourse and, um, and an inability to be able to control your urine flow when blacking out, all yeah. of those things tend to lead to, you know, bladder infections, kidney infections, and that was a regular part of my life. God, and, which would wreak havoc on your immune system as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean I'm not entirely sure if, if, if um, that was an impact I recognised or indeed if it was something that affected me, but, you know, I suffered. Like I, I was, I really found it difficult. It was from a cystitis in particular, I remember I lived in Greece when I was 18 and I got a bus back to London from Greece, which takes quite a long time and it's fairly unpleasant. And I was suffering so badly from a urinary infection, like I was in so much pain and I had to get a ferry and I was on a coach with no toilet. And it was it was 36 hours of sheer hell. And the only thing that took the edge of the discomfort was alcohol. So knowing full well that alcohol was the reason I was feeling so awful, the only thing that could alleviate the discomfort was drinking again because it, I, I don't, you know, it sort of numbs it, the, the physical aspects of it. So, yeah, much like you would hear, um, you know, people that are addicted to pharmaceutical painkillers, I wouldn't suggest that I was addicted and that I was craving it, but I knew that it was the only thing that sometimes would alleviate the physical or mental discomfort of what I was going through. Absolutely. Oh my God. When you talked about that 5% where there is no negative consequences, it's almost like that's the, that's the most dangerous part of drinking. Don't you think? Because that's those times that will give you kind of permission to keep going because it's like, there's that little bit of hope that maybe that 5% will become 20%, 50, 60, 80%. Oh, you know, I'm fine all the time, but it's very rarely that that ever happens. 
it was it I remember always recognizing it like an achievement you know oh my god wallet keys hangover not too bad and that would you know my standard was pretty low um you know I haven't upset anybody I can go into work and hold my head up high I actually remember leaving that was always I remember um you know saying to myself oh my god you called yourself a taxi and you got in it like it was (laughs) Like I, my bar was really low and I would celebrate those wins and yeah. And often think I can do it. I am an achiever. Like it was, it, it was a really odd reward system. <laughs> and of course, and, and, and of course that would, that would again, give me permission to do it again in the mad hope that it would, that it would be okay. And sometimes it was, but mostly it wasn't. And yeah. even I think, even I think when I thought it was okay, there were still, you know, some very um, big red flags that I think other people would suggest were were signs of it not being okay. But I would, you know, if they were mild, I would just give them a tick and go, oh, you know, well, I just crashed out on a mate's couch, um, you know, overnight. So that's not too bad. So that's a win. I drank successfully. Woohoo! Mm-hmm. What were some of those red flags? There's really tiny ones. Like I would find myself smoking almost immediately. I don't smoke and I stopped smoking when I was, but if I would, if I'd start drinking, I would start smoking. Um, I would um, entertain conversations and behavior that I probably wouldn't if I was sober. So these are, you know, like really minor things. Um, But yeah, I'd end up, you know, talking to somebody that if I was if I wasn't drunk, I would I wouldn't find interesting and and perhaps even find um, offensive or upsetting. And yet I would entertain that kind of behavior. Other red flags, I think, would be, you know, making decisions to do things I didn't necessarily enjoy because other people were doing it. You know, not giving myself permission to leave uncomfortable or unpleasant situations or environments. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it was, you know, dangerous. It would just be, you know, like I'm not having a good time. I hate this music or, you know, these people are, you know, not my friends. But I would I would almost, you know, I'd stick it out and, and often be, you know, the last person standing, you know. Like it, it would be really difficult for me to, to go home early or to retire before anybody else. I had huge FOMO when I was drinking. Yeah, absolutely. I can so relate to that. And it brings up that question of authenticity over attachment. And when we can tend to just like throw all of our, all of our beliefs and everything that we actually want for ourselves and anything that we want to say no to just goes out the window because we're so fearful of, of perhaps judgment of other people or just not having that attachment, I guess. You know, I honestly didn't recognize anything until I stopped (laughs) like in terms of what was possible as a non-drinker because I I, you know I think during those moments in the moment I probably felt like I was doing exactly what I should be doing it's only you know the hindsight would come either the day after and that would be because you know I was so deep into this drinking mentality it wasn't until I stopped completely and I stopped a couple of times for, for periods of time, but I think only this time around. So I think I'm, I'm sitting at about two and a half or three years, but only this time around have I had a completely different perspective on how I felt during those moments. Yeah. It's been a real eye opener. Like it's, it's been a real epiphany. 
um, mm. the perception change and the shift of what I thought was normal. And, um, you know, and I don't know, I hate using the word normal because I find it, um, you know, or an ordinary drinker or a normal drinker or somebody that can drink in moderation because I, I had very high aspirations to be that person. But now I have a completely different perspective on drinking and I don't think any of it is normal or ordinary or, you know, moderate because I do feel that, you know, being the, being, knowing what I know about it now and, and the way it's almost encouraged and marketed to us as, as something that's okay. But, but now I know what I know about it. My behaviour was actually ordinary and normal, you know, like, you know, not having you know, not being aware of consequences and and not understanding exactly, you know, what I was doing at any given time and my body's response by, you know, rejecting it and saying no enough and giving me all these signs to say this isn't working for you. That was ordinary and normal. But at the time, I thought that those were odd reactions to um, to the to the chemicals and poison I was putting in my body. And that's been the real shift of perception, I think. Wow, that's really, really powerful to realize, you know, the body is trying to tell us in so many different ways that no, this is not, this is not okay. This is, but like you say, we think that that's kind of normal, but yeah, that's such a, it's a great perspective. Yeah, it's, 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 been, normal, a, it's right? been a real eye opener because I tried so hard, Danny, like I tried so hard to fit in and I but I also I also thought that everybody else was drinking excessively and I thought that I there was something broken in me because I wasn't able to to drink the way I thought everybody else was drinking but I think looking back that there's only a few people that drank the amount of alcohol that I did and are able to front up the next day with absolutely no shame and no worries um, the majority of people were able to sip on an alcoholic beverage and and you know maybe know when it's time to go home and feel okay about getting into a taxi when everybody else is still having a good time and I just I just didn't have that capacity when drinking I didn't have the capacity to slow down I didn't have the capacity to um, despite all of the thing the measures I put in place I would you know put little alarms in my phone saying get a taxi now um, you know, I would, I went to NLP and had pictures on a mirror of me um, drunk so that that would remind me that that wasn't the consequences that I want. I, I tried all of these things before I went out, but yeah. by the time I was two or three margaritas or white wines deep, it was, it was all over. You know, I'd drive to events saying I can just have one and then I'll drive home. And of course I'd always leave the car. Yeah, same, so, same. And I think most people listening to this podcast are exactly the same. You know, and and there's this thing, you know, of I get a lot of messages from people wanting to get to that place of moderation. Can you talk about that for a moment? Because I feel that I want to simp- I, I I get that because I've been there and I remember thinking I can do this. And just like you, I had the 5% times where I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I've got this. I'm good. And then the next thing, you know, I'm fucking wiped out and can't remember going to bed. So that took me a long time to realize and accept that moderation wasn't going to happen for me. And then now, probably like you, I get to the point where alcohols, I'm so, I just, I, I'm, I find it revolting. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want any part of it. So I don't want to even moderate. I just don't even want it really ever yeah. again. I don't know when that happened for me. I don't know if it was just like a sudden thing or if it was a gradual progression from 
the you know emotional and spiritual work I was doing I guess it was probably that learning to love myself more I think I didn't feel that I wanted to do this you know the drinking anymore so what can you speak to that for a moment just that that um wanting to moderate versus not now yeah I mean I, I wish I'd had the shift that you had but I still don't feel that that's where I'm at and I do know other women that have given up drinking and have managed to be in that place where oh I don't fancy a drink and I still do on the odd occasion it's so deeply embedded in me this social marketing you know where a cocktail on a beach or you know wine with dinner and I love going out to it's so funny because I love going out to have dinner and Dean and I and and I'll talk a little bit about Dean because he was very influential but Dean and I would go out for, you know, a, a fancy meal once in a while. And I used to love having degustation with the matching wine. Oh, same. And, it was, yeah. and it was probably the only time that I actually did drink moderately, in my opinion, it's probably excessively in somebody else's because, you know, like it was, it was measured and it was structured and it was a little bit more formal. And, and yeah, I never really, I never really got the point I I didn't really understand that I used to drink to get drunk. I didn't think that was what I did. I thought I drank because, you know, it loosened me up a bit and it made me a a little bit more fun. And I love the taste. I thought I loved the taste, Danny, which is mad. And there were all these things. And I still still have moments and, and tiny little triggers. And I do avoid places like going out for dinner for degustation now and not having a drink with it, I do feel like something's missing. I, I would be fibbing if I said that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. And so I do, and I, I do avoid places where, um, where drinking is the primary focus <laughs> where possible. I've got better at going out for dinner, but I was, I was so anxious about going out for dinner and not drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, but you did ask me about moderation, so I'll go back to that. So can I say one more thing? Sorry, that's all right. In, um, about the degustation, Ash and I love we love doing degustation. We yeah. love it. Um, and the last few times I've been to one, a lot of them now have non-alcoholic pairing. Yeah, which well, I that's what really saved me. <laughs> yeah. Some of them, are, and and often they're just like sugary drinks. And we we go to we go to the really you know like the fancy ones where you have to like. Uh, wait a couple of months to get a table and we yeah. they also do a lot of like black and green teas with flavors and you know indigenous yeah. flavors and it's so like it's it still feels quite fancy yeah but I you know I still think there was an element of me that was trying to get drunk within within the meal and I think that the food was less important to me and the food's always been less important to me when I've been drinking mm-hmm. I, I remember I used to go to a lot of free events with work and you, I would sit and they would come around and, you know, and pour the wine for you. And I never, ever, ever ate dessert because I was so, um, and rarely main course, like I might have a nibble on the starter, but it was all about the booze for me, all about the booze. Mm-hmm. And I would make friends with the waiter and they would always be filling me up. And, you know, I was, and I was a pretty happy drunk. So, you know, there wasn't anything to see in terms of aggression or, you know, I was just a bit slurry, but I'd get up on stage and, you know, I'd be that person. And and I think I, you know, everybody just assumes that I was really extroverted and really fun when in actual fact I was just fucking hammered. <laughs> yeah, so moderation. So I have a couple of views on this. I mean, I don't think I ever, ever thought that I could moderate. Like I I, I just thought I was broken. Um yeah. And I and I didn't see the point. I mean, I think trying to moderate and having just two glasses of wine and then not feeling any different was like, well, what's the fucking point of that? Like I didn't 
I didn't understand why people would go out and have two glasses of wine. It was baffling to me. It was like, you know, certainly not in a pub or a club or a music venue. Um, you know, you, you kind of, yeah, so I, I never thought I could moderate. I just assumed that other people were getting the buzz that I got when I was pissed from only having one or two. And I think that's what I yearned for. Mm-hmm. I didn't yearn to moderate. I yearned to be able to have that joyful feeling without getting pissed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and in, in all honesty, like that, the, the joy, the joyful part, the bit where you're a bit loose and a bit happy and was, I don't even, I think probably for the last 20 years of my drinking, I don't actually even recall having that. I think I went from sober to hammered to hungover. There was never any, oh, she's a bit loose and having a good time. I feel a little bit, you know, like I'm going to have fun tonight. It was, there was, there was none of that. So I didn't even know at what point in the drinking evening would be the point of moderation. I was either not pissed or pissed. And that was, that was it I don't so I've never really understood the concept of moderation but I read something recently from one of my friends who um who's alcohol free and is on a journey and I think their statement was along the lines of um if you're trying to moderate you can't moderate wow (laughs) that's awesome yeah (laughs) so what got you to the point where you decided okay enough's enough I need to give this away yeah, so I mean, I've had, like I said, I think I've probably stopped two or three times. I stopped for a year once. Um, they were always really low points, you know. So points where I just, I woke up the next morning and I just thought, I cannot fucking do this anymore. Um, and when I say low, like they would have been an incident. So the last time um, that I drank, it was a day drinking exercise um, with, you know, like it, so I, you know, popped out for lunch, ordered some wine started at 12 I was by five o'clock it was all over mm-hmm. bundled into a taxi don't remember getting into a taxi I have two children um and at the time they would have been maybe 10 and 8 I think and um I don't remember getting out of the taxi I would have fallen because I had a cut head um my son had to um put a band-aid on me he had to call my partner um who was obviously a little bit upset with me and um and then they just put me to bed and then I probably woke up about four hours later not knowing how I got home feeling the deep shame that's associated with um not being I didn't you know I hadn't given my kids dinner I'd left them by themselves all of the you know all of the impact that was surrounding surrounding me it was just chaotic Mm -hmm. and um Dean said to me that weekend I don't want to be with somebody who drinks this way I just don't and you know and that would have been a catalyst and he you know and he says that but I was already ready to stop so I think on that occasion I said right I'm going to quit for 30 days because I had no intention of giving up alcohol I just wanted to give my body a rest and have some discipline around it and we had um we had some friends that were getting married on the Gold Coast. I think this this would have been in May, uh, and my friends were getting married in the Gold Coast in August or September. And so I said, right, I'm going to do 30 days, then maybe 90 days, and then I'll have a drink at Tam and Matt's wedding. And so that was the plan. And within five days of quitting, 
I knew I'd never go back. How did you know because that? Because I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get back on the roller coaster. I realised this time around, and I'd never, I didn't realise this when I gave up for a year previously or for three months previously, that um, the amount of time and energy it took me to either plan my drinking, plan not. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Drinking, plan my um, work days, my teaching, my parenting around whether I was drinking or not, um, you know, I've been done, I've been done for DUI two or three times, I think. And those, and often those have been, you know, either in the morning when I, or after a lunchtime session. So not when I've been, you know, fully blacked out, but really disruptive, very shameful. And so there were all of these incidents that I, I could directly link <laughs> to alcohol abuse. It wasn't, you know, honestly, blind Freddie could have seen that I should have stopped drinking, you know, 30 years ago. But I just didn't, um, I just wanted to be like everybody else. That was honestly my driving, my driving factor. And perhaps there was a, you know, there was a little bit of, you know, chemical addiction there. But, and this time around, I was like, I'm with a partner that doesn't really drink alcohol. In fact, he was probably drinking more because of me. If we went out for degustation and have a glass of wine and ordinarily he's quite comfortable not doing that. And then, um, and I said, this is the perfect opportunity. My children are old enough now to watch me and see me. And I don't want to normalize this. And my son did say to me after bandaging me up and he said, it's okay, mom. He said, you work really hard. You've just got to, he goes, you've got to go out and enjoy yourself. And it occurred to me that I was showing him that in order to enjoy myself, I had to be paralytic. And I was like, that's fucked up, like so fucked up. But I had to learn how to walk again. Like I had to learn how to live my life without drinking because I'd never done that. So it, I, have, I put a plan in action. Like I was like, right, I've got to do, I've got to almost lose my sober virginity. So I've got to, I've got to go on my first flight. I've got to go to my first business class lounge. I've got to go to my first sales conference overseas. I've got to go to my first wedding. I've got to go to a birthday party. I've got to do all of these things and not drink. And I have to prepare for that because I just, I just didn't think I could do it with willpower alone. So, yeah, so that was, so I, I anticipated the struggle that I would have. And then I wanted to start, you know, ticking those boxes. And it, yeah, it was, that was, I think that was the, the biggest, when I started doing things where I would ordinarily drink or um, look forward to drinking, I had to really push myself. I, I love that. And I think it's all about having a plan 
particularly mm. around the firsts, like the firsts yeah. are so big um, and they can make or break a person really. And if you don't have a good plan in place, so tell me yeah. about your plan. What would you, how would you prepare? Well, I mean, yeah, I was, I was working, you know, I work for San Francisco tech-based companies and so often we, we go overseas for sales conferences and, you know, this is like a free booze, free for all. They're often in Vegas or Macau <laughs> or these godforsaken places where, you know, they should not put salespeople ever. And um, and so, you know, but the the where I used to treat myself with alcohol and I still, after all this time, considered it a treat to go into a business class lounge and be able to have a glass of champagne. And, of course, we've got that glamour that's associated with that, right? Like, and and, and it's still promoted very much in that way. So it was, I mean, when I say I had a plan, I think it was just that, you know, it's baby steps, you're going overseas, you've got to, you know, so I would allow, so for example, I wouldn't ordinarily drink like Diet Coke or anything, but if I, if I go into the business class lounge, I get myself a Diet Coke yeah. and I'll get myself a carby croissant or something, you know, something that, that is naughty and mm-hmm. feels like I'm treating myself, even though, of course, I'm not looking after my health at all. But it was, you know, it was just so that I wasn't sitting there with a glass of water. And I know, and I know lots of people that, you know, give up drinking and try and lose the whole urge to have something in their hand. But I knew that I just wouldn't be able to do that. So, you know, I would have a tonic water or um, I'd get on a, if I, if, I, if I get on the plane and, you know, they come around with the champagne and the orange juice, I'd ask for a tonic water and, or a sparkling water and, um, and then I started to try and make change. So in the business that I was working with at the time, they would have these networking events. We were in American um, fancy hotels and you would attend the networking event and the guy would walk around with a tray of wine and beer and no soft drinks. And if you asked for a soft drink, they would direct you to the bar where you'd fill up your own cup with an orange juice or you could order or or a water or you could order a soft drink, but it would come because it's America in one of those big plastic (laughs) containers with a straw. Mm -hmm. And I actually, and then I was like, I want to make change because there are people that not necessarily like me who have an alcohol problem, but there are people here that are pregnant, need to drive home don't drink for religious reasons, don't drink because they don't like it. And this is not an inclusive environment and we are marking it ourselves as an inclusive environment and yet we're only only appealing to the 20% of people that want to get absolutely hammered. Mm -hmm. So let's, you know, and everybody else is just suffering. (laughs) So let's try and make this an adult, enjoyable networking event, but you've got to to accommodate us. So I, um, I spoke to the head of HR and I said, you know, you need to provide kombucha or alcohol-free beverages. You need to put them in adult glasses so that we also feel like we're being treated well and you need to ensure they're being served alongside the alcoholic beverages. And they did. That is and, awesome. That is yeah. so awesome. Yeah. And, it, and, and you know the amount of people that particular sales conference that came up to me and said, I normally drink because I have no other option. And I was also told by HR, and it didn't occur to me until afterwards, that they always have cases of sexual harassment at these events. No shit, Sherlock. Oh. And, they had, and they had, I think it was something ridiculous, like a 300% reduction in reported sexual harassment and fights. And, you know, there's always someone that gets sacked for doing coke in the toilets and, 
And there were all these things that just didn't happen because there were options for people to not get absolutely wasted every night. Wow, good on you. That is so amazing. But it's so logical, Danny. <laughs> so like it mm. makes perfect sense. But we're just like the whole, you know, we talk about inclusivity. And, and in most of businesses, we've probably got 50 or 60% of the workforce that aren't interested in getting wasted. Yeah. But we don't cater to them. It's odd. That is really awesome, Katie. Like I'm even thinking like at weddings and like if anyone's got events coming up, that's a really good thing to talk to the organiser about too. Uh, can you bring around trays of sparkling water or yeah, yeah, other options for people? That's brilliant. Well, at weddings I have to ta- I take, I always take my own alcohol free because I don't, I don't actually drink alcohol free stuff that much. Like I'll have, a, sometimes if I go for a curry, I'll have an alcohol free beer or, you know, if I'm, if I'm treating myself from a degustation, I might do that now that it's available but honestly most alcohol-free beverages are quite sugary and not that appealing to me anymore and the wine is like gross it's just like real sugary stuff but if I go to a wedding um I will take my alcohol-free wine and I'll put it behind the the bar and I make sure they know who I am and then I just go up and they'll just they recognize me and they'll serve me my wine so I'm not attracting attention to it but everybody asks me about it and it's always really positive the, I know that a lot of people, perhaps because of, you know, who I who I move, the circles I move in, but um, other people get a lot of pressure to drink. You know, are you pregnant? Why aren't you drinking? Do you have a problem? And I hear that that happens. Mm-hmm. But in all honesty, I've only ever people, I've only ever had people coming up to me and saying, it's fucking awesome. Like, so yeah. awesome. I wish I could do it. And I'm like, you can, you know? Mm-hmm. And it really is just, I think, just, being and, and that's why it's important I'm visible when I'm when I'm not drinking because I want people to know that they can also go out and not drink and if I try and sort of like just blend into the crowd then I feel that there's other people that are struggling with alcohol and they think every, they think like I did that everybody else is hammered yeah and, you know and then and they're not wow that is so cool yeah, that that's just awesome and it and I find as well that it's very rarely you come across people, especially at our age, you know, pretty much beyond 40. I think most people kind of get it or they wish that they were doing the same thing themselves. Um, I had someone in my challenge group just recently. She had a friend's birthday party and the woman was really quite insistent that she drinks and mm. was just pressured her so much. And she just felt she didn't also, she didn't want to let her friend down and of course, she didn't want to let herself down, but it's again, it's that attachment versus authenticity. So what she did is she sat there, she said they drank an oh, extraordinary amount of wine, I can't remember, 20 bottles of wine or something. Yeah, between, yeah. I can't remember how many. That's a night's work for me. <laughs> but um, she had to sit there with a, a glass of wine in front of her and bring it up and just pretend she was drinking oh, it. I've seen people do that. I've seen people do that. And I, 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 it's interesting, though, that I think that, I mean, my, my parents are both big drinkers and I know that they feel they act quite defensive around me not drinking or even bringing up um, the fact that I had an alcohol problem because I feel that they feel it's a reflection on them. And so often, I mean, this is my personal belief and I, I, I certainly don't know if it's true or not, but I do, I do think that people who push back on, on someone who chooses not to drink, there's often an issue going on with them. Of that they, that, yeah, that, that it's, you know, that it's really highlighting you know, and so, and, and that would be my experience, you know, people that have pushed back or have been defensive about me not drinking um, have often, have often potentially got a drinking problem themselves. 
Um, Absolutely, I agree. Or it's that there's a void there for them. So perhaps, like I, I thought, maybe perhaps with this lady that she felt so in not being rude, but maybe insecure in herself yeah. that she felt like everyone had to be really pissed for her to feel comfortable in herself. And I was like that. I was yeah. like that. Yeah. I, 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 mean, like, I wanted everyone to be fucking munted because then it wasn't so glaringly obvious that I was pissing in the corner of the room. And you're wanting everyone to have a good time. You think that if they're wasted, they're having a good time. And so you kind of push it on them even more. Um, yeah. I can relate to that. And I, I probably get where that, like, I've probably been that woman, you know, many, yeah. many and I think that, and so I have a real, you know, deep sympathy for people that, you know, want to, I guess, push the drinking agenda, because I do think that it comes from a place that um, really isn't aware. And I, you know, and I hope that, so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that when people come up to me and say, you know, it's awesome, you know, like, God, I wish I could do that. I'm going to try, you know, and people come up to me and they go, I've done seven days, no drinking and, you know, that type of thing. And so I get this real celebration around it. And I think, God, these guys are the ones that will, you know, find it no problem eventually just to whittle it out of their lives. But it's the people that are, um, you know, those ones, the pressure pushers, they're the ones that really need to, to be able to say to themselves, hey, you know, maybe I could be better without the drink. And they're the ones that need the help, I think. What would you suggest for people that are faced in that situation where there, there is a lot of pressure socially, you know, if you're at a party or you're at a gathering and you're feeling the pressure, what would you suggest people do? God, I'm really, I, I, I wouldn't do that because it would compromise me. I pro- honestly, I probably wouldn't go. And I would, and that and that's really I I would find I wouldn't be able to sit there I would find it very very difficult to sit there with an alcoholic beverage in front of me and lift it up to my face and so um I would say to my friend that um I wouldn't be able to attend if um if you know I and and I, I have to say to people now if I get invited to parties Dean and I are going to be the first ones there we're going to be the first ones to leave (laughs) We've only, because we don't drink, we've really only got about an hour and a half of exciting time in us. We're going to go. So we probably won't say goodbye to everyone, but we want to come. So, you know, we want to be invited. We want to participate. We want to have photos with everyone, but we're not going to be there at 1130, um, you know, with everybody else. Because I just, I, 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 I literally don't have the capacity to to um I get bored like I really do get bored I get bored yeah. and um yeah I, I want to participate but I don't so I'm, I'm really upfront about that because I think the whole reason behind people's drinking is sometimes is that they're trying to cover up the fact that they want to do something else mm-hmm. and so you know the beauty of being um, alcohol free is that ability to go hey I'm going to leave at about eight o'clock I just want to give you the heads up and they'll go, really? Oh, come on. And you go, if you want me to be there, I'm probably going to leave at eight o'clock. And mostly it goes okay. And if it doesn't go okay, I'm like, fuck it. That's very, um, I love that, that you're setting it up for, you're setting that up so that people won't feel disappointed, I guess, or that you're letting them know. It's really hard for a people pleaser probably to be able to have the strength to say that, I guess. But I guess that comes with the age yeah and 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 getting more used to it and more comfortable with yourself which you yeah, do and, as the and, I feel, and I feel really lucky right like I'm you know you and I we're in we're in relations we're in happy relationships um you know I don't have the pressure of being single and having to meet someone which would just be 
fucking tragic, I imagine, as an as an alcohol-free person during restrictions. And, you know, so there's, there are all, you know, I live in an area where health is really valued. And so, um, so, you know, it's not, it's not that ordinary to be hammered all the time. I mean, obviously the wellness industry does have a bit of an issue where they, you know, they fluctuate between health and then going out and getting pissed at the weekend. Yeah. But, but it's not, it's not a, you know, a systemic society driven thing where I live. So I'm very, very lucky. And, you know, and I would, I would often say to people, I mean, for me, I probably had to move here in order for that to happen. Because I think if I'd stayed in London, in the environment I was in with the people I was with, I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't feel like I would be here now. Yeah. Wow. Did you have a time where you felt really, this is really fucking hard. Um, fuck it. You know, or, or were you so. I still do. I still, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's not as uh, the first, I mean, the first 90 days are, are fucking hard. Like, you know, conferences and I, I know I have to, I have to pull myself away from it. I can't go. I, I, I would have to avoid the situations that would trigger me completely. I've got a girlfriend who gave up shortly after me. Who's amazing who has literally embraced the situations that she would normally be triggered by and just, you know, she was in a partnership with somebody that was drinking excessively and she still managed to stay sober. And I'm just fucking amazed how people do that. Cause for me, if I hadn't had a partner that didn't really drink or hadn't been super supportive, if I didn't live in an environment where I'm surrounded by people that, um, you know, are okay with not, not drinking, if I hadn't found little groups and little pockets of people that were looking to give up drinking and therefore I felt that I had almost a responsibility and accountability to them to show that I could do it, um, you know, and my kids. And so I had a million reasons Um to 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 do it and so but I still had to stay away from and it's so funny now because if I walk into a pub now I nearly fucking vomit I don't even know how I stood in pubs when I was drinking like they stink and why why would you go and stand in this fucking foul place and drink out foul glasses like it's all, a lot of the things I did when I was drinking I'm completely baffled by because I wouldn't even you know I don't enjoy the things that I did when I drank now that I don't drink and and so I don't think I ever really did yeah because I just drank to make them bearable yeah yeah that's exactly right sometimes you're just drinking just together I know Ash did definitely like absolutely he'll get bored by people really easily because he wants to have very deep conversations so to be around people having light and fluffy conversations he'd find it excruciatingly boring yeah. So he'll just get smashed. To, yeah. And that's sort of what started him with alcohol, really. Yeah. Um, that's what got him going in the first place. So, um, yeah. And so, and Dean's not the same at all. Like, Dean just, you know, he'll have a couple of beers with his dad at Christmas and then he'll just go, Oh, I didn't feel super clear and I didn't sleep really well. So, I probably won't have another one till next Christmas. Like, that's just how he rolls. Like, mm-hmm. it's just not something that floats his boat. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that. Uh, yeah alcohol was my was my demon I don't even know that I you know I would have a problem with other drugs I definitely you know don't feel like I would have a problem with gambling but alcohol was definitely the one thing and I and I honestly do think it was almost it, it was this society driven um glamour that was attached to it and I think that um my sobriety and I don't use the word sobriety very often but I think that my role now is to show that not drinking isn't like the whole AA 
you know, polystyrene cups with old people smoking until they're grey because I did have an experience of AA and it was exactly like that. And I was like, I do not belong with these people. These are not my people. But it can be this, you know, you can get dressed up, you can have a, you know, glamorous existence, you can, I don't necessarily go out dancing, and I, but I do see, you know, people that don't drink that do and, you know, and have a whale of a time. And I cannot, cannot comprehend the way I went about life without feeling as fresh as I do when I wake up. Like I just, it's bananas. Like I value my mornings. What I've gained has been so much more than what I've lost. And, and that takes, that's a shift of perspective, right? Like it's because I think most people that give up drinking see that they're giving something away. And, and I feel that what I've done is I've brought something in. Yeah, absolutely. Main, yeah, which is mainly my fucking health. Yeah. Mentality. Absolutely. I'm all about that, like focusing on what you're gaining rather than what you're giving up because you're, you're giving up something that's, it's funny even to say like it's glamorous and all the rest of it, but there's nothing glamorous about waking up pissing the bed or oh. you know vomiting all over yourself or forgetting to feed your kids dinner or you know it's, it's the best fucking marketing campaign I've ever seen like oh, absolutely. the alcohol industry like it's unbelievable the way that they make it and I and even and I and I know this drinking all the time like if I watch movies like or tv shows the fucking amount of alcohol consumed um is unbelievable like everybody's you know drinking wine when they get home from work like it's it's literally I I cannot believe how much of a push there is in everyday life and you know and I I don't watch a lot of tv but you know I totally understand why people think that's what you do because that's what we're shown that we're supposed to do yeah oh absolutely totally totally agree um what you just said before about still getting dressed up and doing the rest of it another of the ladies on our challenge group she was, she shared with the group in our Facebook group that she was going on a soup on a friend's super yacht mm. in Sydney, and she was a bit nervous about it. And also, she was she was also lamenting a few weeks before about not, you know, the the whole getting ready to mm. go out, you know, mm. missing that. And we said, well, you're still doing it all. You can still get your hair done. Like I often like get my hair and makeup done if we're yeah. going somewhere nice. So what she did, she went out and bought a new dress, got herself done up beautifully, and she went to the super yacht. And she had an awesome time and then left. Yeah. And she, it felt amazing. When she, wanted, when she wanted to. Yeah. And she had such a great time, but all those things were still there. Yeah. And I talked about, about the bit on the podcast about all the elements being there. You're just not getting smashed. But it's got a really she, bad image, sobriety. Like it's got a really, it's got a really unglamorous edge to it. Like I think, you know, people, people think that it's, um, yeah, it's sad. That's right. <laughs> people think that being, being not drunk is sad and um I think the opposite yeah I think the opposite now. but I think we have to be really careful as people that that um that are talking to people that drink that we don't over glamorize our lives either because I think it's important I, I think what we don't do when we when we um clean up is that we don't talk about what alcohol did give us and it did and and there is a reason that we we use it, right? And um, and obviously there's a there's a marketing element to it. But you know, if I if you have a glass of wine after a really long day at work and the kids are screaming, it will take the edge off. It will remove your presence from all areas of life. Like you won't be able to engage with your children like you could. And but but it does it does mean that you do have a little bit of respite 
from whatever is is um you know is maybe playing on your mind a little bit and we have to recognize that because you know like any drug or any distraction it does serve a purpose it's mm-hmm. just that the the issue is is that is the purpose that it's serving outweighing the negatives and i think that's what we really have to drive home because there was a, that you know i when people say oh you know like I was an alcoholic or I'm an alcoholic and I'm really reluctant to hear people say that because I do feel that um you know alcohol is something that is that is given to us as a remedy if you like and then our body rejects it and that doesn't make you an alcoholic it just means that the the purpose that it was designed to serve in whatever fate is just no longer serving you and you need to look for something else um, because because you know hard times are fucking hard when you've got nothing to take the edge off and yeah. we have to let people know that that experience is yeah. going to be really tough and for me it wasn't so tough because I knew what I was gaining um, was so much more but for people that are suffering and alcohol does um, give them some relief from that when you take it away, not in a physical form, but in a, you know, in a remedy type form, then there's going to be some pain that will surface that will have to, that has to be dealt with. And that can sometimes be so horrific and so difficult that, um, you know, that we have to, yeah, we have to address that, I think, as a community and just go, you know, what can we do? What's the go-to there in order to get through that? Yeah, there's definitely, and I talk about that a lot, just sitting, being able to sit with the pain comfortably and finding another way to soothe. That's yeah. not, and I agree, absolutely, alcohol or whatever it is, whatever your addiction is, serves its purpose at a time and then it becomes yeah. maladaptive or damaging yeah. you, causing you problems, and that's when you've got to look at it. Yeah. Just before we go, Katie, if if you could offer yourself, your younger self, some advice, what would that be? Ooh. It's a, it's a tough one. I would, um, I would say recognise the signs, like be intuitive. And it's really hard not to go with the crowd. And I'm raising teenagers now and I know how important it is to be popular and to fit in and, and to want that. And, and, but I think that finding your tribe is so important and healthy. That's what I would advise myself to do. I would say, you know, if you are not comfortable with the people and the surroundings that you are in, go and look somewhere else for it. Because there are people like you that want to live the way you do. And you just got to find them. I like that. That's what I would suggest. I'm really lucky. I get to live in Australia now. But I know that if I'd stayed in the environment I was in, I would not have thrived. Mm. So yeah. it's luck for me <laughs> um, that I'm here now but I would always if I was speaking to a young person that was suffering or struggling or you know not feeling that they could live up to their true potential I would say find your tribe find the people that you do resonate with because it's everything yeah that's really beautiful thank you Katie Gratzer thank you so much for coming on and sharing your beautiful wisdom Oh, I don't know if I have any, but thanks, Danny. It's all it's all living and learning, right? Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. All right. Thank you. Bye.
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.